All right, guys, y'all turn to Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. And I got it written right here, my favorite chapter. <laughs> well, I don't have a problem remembering. It's so good. So good. And what really gets me is the chapter before. Uh, is, and I wrote out here, Romans 7. Starting at 13 to the end of the chapter, and I wrote that, and it's where Paul says, I don't do the things I want to do. I don't, I, the things I do, I don't want to do, you know. And I, and I put out there, it's amazing that Paul fights the same battles that I do. Is it not? The greatest Christian beside Jesus who ever lived. Romans 8. This is, this may be my favorite lesson so far in this series here. This verse, and I've read it a million times because this is my favorite chapter. Uh, this verse is it's, it's Romans 8, 28. We all know what it is. For all things work to the good for those who love the you know, Lord. The title of the lesson is The Confident Promise of Grace. The Confident Promise of Grace. And the objective here, and I just jotted it down, God's grace brings good out of every situation. God's grace brings good out of every situation. Oh, how do you get my, my book here? Let me find it. Because i got a, a good bit of reading to do. Uh, and I don't mean to talk down and, and read, but I can't do it any better. All right? Can you relate? Listen to what David Jeremiah, the confident promise of grace. Listen to it. And i got a couple of paragraphs here, so just bear with me. And this, this, this kind of sets the tone for the whole lesson. All right. This sets the tone for the whole lesson and for us to get out of this little bubble we're in and see see if we can't figure out the big picture God's laid out before us. All right. David Jeremiah says, when I was a senior in college, God called me into the pastor. Almost overnight, I knew that God had changed the direction of my life. I didn't mind the new focus, but I was troubled by one aspect. I had been headed in another direction almost my entire life. I had been interested in radio from the time that I was young. I used to build amateur radios and string antenna wire all over the house. And when I grew older, I got involved in a road in radio production, working as a DJ in college at an FM station and then helped our college start its own Christian radio station. So I was assume, I so I just assumed I would always be involved in some aspect of the radio broadcasting as a career. But I followed the Lord's leading and went to seminary after college to prepare for the pastor. After four years of seminary, I did further graduate work and then accepted a call to start a new church in Indiana. About this is where it gets really you almost have to sit back and just laugh out loud. Now, what was, what was his thing? Radio. You know, I, I know he probably felt that God wants me to be in radio. I'm doing all this. He's, he's opened up these doors. Hey, we're, gonna, we're working at a radio station. We're going to start a radio station at my college. It's a Christian radio. You know, you know it'll make, when you're just set, at that time, I'm thinking, I'm, you're thinking, the circumstances of life, God is opening up doors for me to go down a certain path. You see what I'm saying? 
And he says, about halfway through my time at that church, radio reappeared, quote, unquote, out of the blue. He said, I got a call from a radio station asking if I'd like to have, host a live radio program. From that program grew another and another. And until finally today, I'm involved in radio as, as much as I possibly can be. The program I host now is broadcast all over the world in several languages and can be heard in North America and just about every radio, uh, just about everywhere a radio is turned on. And do you see that? He thought he was going to be in radio, then he got a stretch. Did he what? And then God opened up that door again. You know, just go back. Put yourself in his shoes. Well, I'm, I'm down and out. I'm excited to be going into the pasture. Yeah, but I really thought I was going to be doing this. All right, just think along those lines. And I jotted down, can you relay? It's, it's, have you been headed in a, in a, in a direction that you, I, I thought God wanted me to do that? And then something changed. And then, then looking back, you see that that change brought on better. And you even got to touch into that a little bit, what you were doing in the past, like he did. And I jotted down, have you, can you relate? Have you ever wanted, prayed, and thought God was leading you down a path and, and that that path changed, and then years later, down the road, see how God worked out everything? I always thought I was going to be a major league player, and I thought pretty, pretty, you know, but I, it, it changed when I when I quit playing. I, I was sorry. All right, I'm just going to tell. You, I told John David Hogan before. I, I was sorry. I was sorry. When I quit going to UNA, y'all know what my GPA on the three was. The first time I quit going to you, y'all will appreciate this. Three. I was on the three. Now they're on four over there. Four's an A. Three's a B. C's a D. I mean C's a two, D's of one. Back in them days, it was three, A, two, B, one, C. Mine was 0.33. You know how I got that, man? I quit going to class. I was sorry, man. I thought, I'm never going back. Never going back. I don't care nothing about it. Can you believe that? I was sorry. I was, as Coach Dolan up there at the high school said, I, he said, man, I was floundering. Oh, you talking about floundering? I was floundering. I didn't have direction. I didn't have anything. And then he got back. I helped Coach Fowler. Brian, I brought him. Fowler called me and said, hey, my brother was a senior in high school or junior in high school. He said, you want to come up here and help me coach baseball? I thought, yeah, you know, I, I, like, I love baseball. It's my thing, you know. And I got, got re-interested, man. Go back to college. Ended up. Teaching school, 25. But I was sorry. See, God worked it out that I got away from that for two and a half, three years. And then, and we're going to get into this part here in a minute. Even though I made a stupid decision, God's patience and love and grace was enough that I got back to where he, he had the path that he wanted me to go down. Even though I bucked up a little bit. And got you know, and, and and didn't go down his path. And uh, he says right here, John Newton had. I jotted this down. John Newton had a similar experience as, as David Jeremiah. 
I'm not going to read it because it's just a lot. He, part of it was his, for God to get him where he needed him to be, his wife almost died, stayed near death for a year. And it was all getting him where God wanted him to be. It's amazing. It's amazing. When you step back and you look, look in reverse, look hindsight and see where God worked that out, how he, how he took my stupidness and got me where I, I needed to be. It's amazing. It really is. And then now let's read Romans 8, 28. What comes to, the, what comes to mind when we read Romans 8, 28? As I read this, and I know y'all know it, what comes to mind? It says here, uh, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What comes to mind right there? Job. Tommy, you, you said Job. Now, we're going to get to him at the end, but we're going to talk, talk about him right now. What impresses you about Job in, in that statement? Verse 8, 28. Everybody had lost everything. He lost everything. He lost his family, friends, wife, everybody. He had nothing. And then at the end, God doubled everything that he once had. All right. What else comes to mind when we read Romans 8, 28? You know, I think a lot of people, Allison got a phone call. Jackson's roommate down there in Alabama, you know, they're all in Miami, laying out in the sun. Sorry, this day is long. You know, I'm freezing my rear end off up here. But anyway, this lady who's Jackson's roommate's mother called Allison yesterday. And long story short, she said, well, you know, I had a similar surgery. I fell and broke my back. He says, and she said, but three years later, I thought, man, don't come here with three years later. That's not a pick-me-up. That's a downer. You know? You know, and, it's, and Allison said, well, I know. I said, I know what they, their motive was. They're trying to make you feel better. But you really got to, when you go to make somebody feel better, you really got to watch what you say. Jeremiah talks all the time, you know, that when he had cancer, you know, they'd come back and he'd say, well, you know, I, I had a, I had a spouse or a loved one who had the same, and they died, but they're in a better place. You know, I mean, does that make you feel better? Does that make you feel better? It's the truth, but is that what you want to hear? You know, it's not. You know, so you get, you really got to choose your words. You know, when you, when you, and, and, and but we, a lot of people use Romans eight. Well, I know, you know. All things work for good. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And I'm not saying you don't quote that to folks. But you know, you, you, you just kind of have to, you know, there's a time and a place. Let me put that on the prayer list this week. When you die, you'll feel better. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a praise. That would be under the praise, I guess. It may take a thousand days. It'll all work out. Yeah, really. I was watching the weather over at Mother's a while ago, and it's, they got a chance of snowing. The, the guy came a little joker on night thinking, it's been nearly 2,200 days since it snowed an inch in the year. I thought, wow, that's a time. You know, that's a long time. Uh, hey, I said, we know. Oh, we're going to get to that. Hold that, Steve. Hold that thought. That's Roman numeral number one. I know. Just... Put that in your pocket because we're fixing to get there. We're fixing to get there. That's the first 
part of the first of the outline. And that is really, and of course, now that's the least of my next question. Steve answered. What's the first thing you 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 notice in that verse? Or we know. All right. Go ahead. It's a, I just ran into it. It's like it's a given, but it ain't really a given. All right. Roman numeral number one. This is a certain promise. A certain promise. How is that statement true? And I'm going to read my question because I, 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 if I get out of line, I get way out. I, I just get lost. How is a certain promise? How do we know that statement's true? Because what's he just read? For we know. Let me read uh, what Jeremiah writes here. And we know. He says, we have to know the promises of God before we can feel encouraged, assured, or hopeful. Think about that. You have to know the promises of God before really you can apply them to your life. You see what he's saying? Now, let's just stay in sports. Rivera. I think Mariano Rivera is the greatest baseball player for his position, bar none. Because when he went out there, his success rate was so much at a higher clip than anybody else. That's not to mean that Willie Mays or DiMaggio or Williams or whoever wasn't really great at what they did. But Ty Cobb has an all-time record. He was successful hitting like 37.5% of the time. They, Mariano Rivera would not have lasted two days if his success rate was 37.5%. 99.0 whatever. I don't know how many belong to He's the most certain thing as a reliever has ever been. All right? So you know that going in. Do you see how your confidence is risen with that? You know his success. You know, when the Braves played in the postseason last year, they had, you know, they had Max Freed, who's a great pitcher. I really like I think he's an excellent pitcher. They got Soroka, who was hurt. And then they – because they got in the playoffs, and then they had some guys go down, whatnot. And then they brought up this guy named Ian Anderson. My word, he threw. He threw lights out. You know, but I just – I'm just wondering, every time it's the day of the day, it's going to fly apart on reentry. You know, and then I told John David the other day, they they got the, the – the, the Mets picked over the Braves, even though the Braves have won three times in a row, three years in a row of their division. They got to, you know, and, and their premise is, well, we don't know how these guys are going to perform. You know, if it was Maddox, Glavin, and Smokes, you know, you would have confidence because you know those guys are outstanding. They don't have the confidence. So, so we know. What do you know about? So what Jeremiah is saying is for us – to apply, we and, and we know to our life, we got to know his promises. And I was listening to, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Johnny Hunt. They played a little dab of him on uh, Rick and Bubba the other day, and I went back and listened to it because he was scolding churches who were not meeting. <laughs> I found it very good, Johnny Hunt. I mean, he lambasted us. 
If you want to listen to it, go to Rick and Bubba. Go back to Thursday in the archives and click on that icon. You can listen to the 35-minute sermon of it. And he is blowing folks out of the water for not assembling together. It's outstanding. And I've heard him preach. Jay Leo and I heard him up in Memphis doing with Leo time or two. Uh, he said, he gets after it now. If you if you if you're a little tender, don't go. <laughs> you're gonna get blowed up, you know. Uh, but he's he's roasting. But you got to know the promises of God to apply them to your heart and to your life. And how do you know those promises? How do you how do you put your trust? Because his success rate's even better than reverse. His success rate's one hundred percent. All right. Let me read the second part that I underlined here. And when we're going through things we don't understand, listen to this. I cried the other day when I read this. And when we're going through things we don't understand, it's important to remember what we do know and understand. When you can't make sense out of this country we live in, Allison's situation. What do I know? God never leaves us for seconds. We will be healed in the dolphin at the end. It will be better. This didn't, this without us didn't catch God off guard. This country didn't catch God off guard. Nothing. God didn't wake up and think, golly, bum, I didn't see that coming. It never, that's the things we know. Well, why do we get off, let's just think along those lines. Why do we get off kilter? Well, it's like pig pen we talked about last week. When things hit the fan a little bit, it gets a little dusty. You know, things get a little stirry. It gets a little crazy. Y'all seen coaches. I've seen players. I've seen coaches. When it gets going a little crazy, things get a little squirrely. You can call a timeout. You can step off the back of the rubber. Man, you ain't your loss is goose in a hailstorm, man. You know, you're out of kilter. You got to step back, take a breath, go back to what you know. I told Hogan, he, they have practice today, first practice of the season, 10 o'clock. He told me, they said, Daddy, pray for him. So I told him, I said, let me tell you a little secret, cuz. You're a heck of a player. And I would tell that one right there the same thing. They signed you for a reason because they believe in you. You believe in you. But when you, you your confidence is wavered, whether you're 0 for 4 or give up the long ones, go back to what you believe, to what you know. I got good stuff. I'm a good hitter. God's great. He never leaves me or forsakes me. We, those are the things we know. What else do we know about it? He took care of the Israelites when they left Egypt, didn't he? How many times? Now, word, man, I don't know. Lost count. Did it look like death and destruction at the Red Sea? Dry ground, man. I started reading Genesis. Genesis is one of my favorite books 
I read through the New Testament last year. I just started Genesis. I just love Genesis. You know, and then here, I, I got through with Noah, landing, you know, on Mount Ararat. I didn't read it today. The day's uh, the 11th, I think. Now the day's the 10th. And uh, I'm thinking, God, he's built that ark for 120, 125 years. And when it rained, it started raining. You know, and it didn't just didn't rain, the water come up out of the earth, too. I bet, I bet Noah's life. Well, he said what he said was coming true. It ain't it just wasn't fluttering in the air out there. Just time after time after time after time. We know those. That's what we we know. And that's what Paul is getting at. I jotted this down, and I, I guess it's, we're just kind of talking. What do you, quote-unquote, know about God that brings peace to you in trials and tribulations? And I think that's what Steve is getting at. Do we go back and, and ponder the truths, the facts? I told Allison, Allison gets a little down at times. Would, will they say the pain I'm feeling is good? I said, Allison, she'll tell somebody on the phone, well, David says that pain's good. I said, baby, it ain't just me. The doctor told you that. The PT tells you that. Everybody you talk to in the medical field tells you the same thing. You got, and I told her that. I said, we got to kick emotions to the curb. We have to deal with facts. Because when you're beat down, Joe, beat down, we'll get to him in a minute. When you're whooped, and you let your emotions get the best of it, you can get whooped. Because the enemy does what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. My word, wasn't he after Job with those three? I'm talking about some full force. Let me read another section here. Keep going. The phrase we know is used, for, this is, I find this very interesting. The phrase we, quote unquote, we know is used five times in Romans. And the verb know appears 13 times. So Paul puts great emphasis on what we can know for certain in spite of what we can't know. Think about that. Five times in 13, so a total of eight, there's certain things you can know. Know that you're a good hitter. Know that you got good stuff. Know that God is there. Now, I need to be told that. Now, I'm, a, I'm talking to myself. And it's nice to have somebody come by and say, now, God, God's got this. I don't need a 10-day lecture. I don't need a dissertation. I'm kind of old school. You know, sometimes I need a little scream in the holler now. You know, like they motivate back when I was in high school. Nowadays, they don't do a whole lot of that. You know, people get their feelings hurt, and they want to quit on you nowadays. If you quit back when I was in high school, you were kind of a panty waste. Middle, middle practice. I saw a guy at Publix the other day. He had his mask. It took me a second. I said, what about it, Les? Guy graduated high school. I said, did you, did you teach him? I said, heck no, man. That guy graduated with me. I'm not that old. <laughs> you know? I said, I, you know what I see that boy? You know what I think about Junior high football practice. Arthur Andrews and Steve Mask out there, third and fourth period up there at Cobb County High School. 
eight million degrees out there. And Leslie come out there back in the day. He's a he's, he's a black guy. He had a Jerry Curl. You know what Jerry Curl is? Michael Jackson back before he was white. Got hot because that stuff was dripping off of him. He said, I'm going to the house. He packed it up right in the middle of practice, walked up there to the field out. Never forget that. That's been good grief. That's been 42 years ago. I'll never forget that. When I see him, I love him today. He's a great guy. I think about that every time. He laid out right in the middle of practice and went home. Got a little tough. Got a little tough. All right. Let me read what up. And we know. Now go back up and read verse 26. Look at the contrast Paul's got right here. Now, this is one of my favorite. This is one of this this stuff here is why Romans 8 is some of is my favorite chapter. Look at Romans, look at Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which uh, cannot be uttered. Jeremiah's whole point right here is when we don't even know what we need to pray for, we got an ally. I'm glad that's in this. Tommy, at times, man, when he, when he gets really bad... I, I can't talk. I can't pray. I don't know what to say. And and I go back to that. God, I don't. God, I, 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 you know. And the Holy Spirit's praying for me right now. Now, when we don't know, now drop back down to verse twenty-eight. What Steve brought up, and we know. What do we know, Steve? That the Holy Spirit's praying for us when we don't know. He's, is that not just kind of crazy amazing? That just blows my mind. And when we're so bumfuzzled, when we're so confused, and we don't understand, and yada yada, ABC, one, two, three, the Holy Spirit's praying for us, and we got to hold on to the fact that He is praying. Because we know that. Because Paul tells us, and God told him in the discussion. And I jotted down, in the midst of the fog, do we hold on to this truth? You can see it, John three sixteen. Fire away. Well, it's kind of just reiterating John three sixteen. A different phrase is the way I'm looking at it. For whosoever. No, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. If we choose, it's happening. But to bring peace and have grace in our life, we have to choose to accept. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Let me read what Jeremiah writes here. On the other hand, we do not know what we do not know what we should pray for as we are. So Paul is using an interesting contrast in, in this section of Romans 8. In verse 26, we don't know how to pray, but in verse 28, we know all things work together for good. We know the ultimate truths even when we don't know the immediate ones. Listen to that now. We know the ultimate truth when we don't know the immediate ones. How poignant is that? 
Now, going back to what Steve's talking about, and what Dalton, we were laughing about a while ago. Is that not what we need to be hanging our hat on? I don't know what's going on, man, with this world and this country. But the ultimate truth is, there will be a new one one of these days. The new Jerusalem will come out of the sky and sit on the earth. And if I'm not mistaken, it's 1,600 furlongs, and 1,600 furlongs, and 1,600 furlongs. You don't ask me what a furlong is. I know they do horse racing. That's about it. Several miles. From what I remember, it's like, the Gulf of Mexico to maybe the Great Lakes, somewhere in that neighborhood from what I vaguely remember off the top of my head. Put that as a cube. That was all Roman numeral number one, man. Have we ever thought about this much of this verse? We read it, and we ain't even got down to, we, we just scratched the surface, man. Roman numeral number two. This is a comprehensive promise. Somebody define comprehensive for me. What does comprehensive mean? Complete. Complete. What else? All inclusive. You know, uh, you got your master's in UNA, right, Liv? What did you take over at the end of your graduate school? Took a comp. Same one I took. I don't know if you graduated at the same time I did. I know we were over at the same time. I don't know. It was a six-hour test, boys. Three hours today, three hours tomorrow. Three hours today was PE. Every class, we had five PE classes. Denise, kinesiology, study of muscles, exercise fees, testing measurements, uh, maybe an adaptive PE, and a methods class. And I had, I had eight questions for, three, for five classes. And I had to write an eight-page paper in three hours. And guess what? I had to come back the next day and all my education courses, curriculum development, ed site, whatever. I can't even remember those. It was, that was six classes. My word, it was three discussion questions, which was a page apiece. And then I don't know, 150 maybe, multiple choice questions for six classes. It took me three hours to take that. That was the time. It was, it was, over everything I, we went over in three years of going to grad school. It meant everything. All inclusive. Think about that. How do we know God's per promise is comprehensive? According to verse 28. Look at verse 28. How do you know that it is a comprehensive promise? All things. You know, I heard a guy preach another day. He gave a definition of all. You know what that means? All. <laughs> leaves nothing out. It leaves nothing out. Let me read what he says right here in page 96. He says, we are often most certain of the ultimate. No, 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 I'm sorry. There are no restrictions no conditions or limits on what God involves himself in for the good of his children. All things. There are no 
restrictions, no conditions or limits on what God involves himself in for the good of his children. Things happen when we have to decide how to respond. And Romans 8, 28 says, we can respond with confidence, knowing God is managing all the details in order to bring out good of this situation. God is managing the details. Roman number number three. This is a cooperative promise. How do we know it's cooperative? Work together. Why is it important? Why is this that all things, how, how, why is it important that we understand that all things work together? Why is it important to understand that part of this verse? Now, well, you need to understand that. Think about a sprinter. You know what I love to watch in the Olympics? When they get that camera looking down the lane of Hussein Bolt or whoever. When those cats run, when I run, I don't run anymore, but when I ran, you know, my head, their head is still. Why is their head still? Everything's going in one direction. It's the most efficient way. You ever notice that when they run, their arms go straight up and down? They don't go sideways? This slows down. Yeah. Everything's vertical. They're right up and down that line right there. There's no wasted motion. See what I'm saying? So for all things to work together, we need to understand that there's nothing wasted in our circumstances. Now, let me preface right here, and y'all can agree, and I know you will. That don't make it fun. Every circumstance ain't a barrel of monsters. Unicorns and rainbows. It ain't. That's why I say you can play all the football you want. You can even play that Australian rules football, which I think is way worse than American football. And you can be the toughest dude in the world. Christian life is way tougher. It's tough. You can't, no cowards in the Christian life. There's none. You think it was a coward hung on that cross and took that beating? What about Paul? Go over and read what he went through. Think about the disciples. John's the only one who died of natural causes. The rest of them were murdered. And I mean, not pleasantly. You know? All things work. And he says here, work together is translated synergy. Let me read what the definition of synergy is. Synergy is working together of various elements to produce an effect greater than and sometimes different from the sum of individual elements. Think about that now. Synergy is the working together of various elements to produce an, an effect greater than and sometimes different from the sum of individual elements. And he, Jeremiah brings out the point. What's table salt made out of? Sodium and chloride. Sodium is poison. Chloride, chlorine, if you don't believe it, I got my daddy one time. I feel so bad about it. We had a pool at Mother Daddy's house. Daddy, daddy I don't know why he had a pool. 
my mother and my daddy can't swim. And we had a pool. Can you believe that? Eight foot in there for me and my knucklehead brother. You know, I mean, that's how, you know. But anyway, there was no salt systems. We had a little tub of chlorine out there at Tablets. We had to put some in the skimmer. Man, I don't know why I was stupid. I was 14, 15 years old. I put my head down and I thought, whoa. My word, man, I choked. You know, you know, chlorine takes all, it, it displaces oxygen. So you can suffocate with chlorine, chlorine, right? Y'all know that, right? It is, in HVAC, chlorine is the best freon there is. But it's the most dangerous. It's what these chicken houses, you can get, you can get things cooler with chlorine than you can with any, any variety of freon. Pilgrim's Pride or whatever that is down there in Russell, they're chlorine. And there's an evacuation route when it busts down there, if it ever does. Because it takes all the chlorine. You suffocate sitting in this building in chlorine. Well, I told Dad, I said, hey, smell that right there. It smells good. He stuck his head down there. He liked to went to the dang ground. So why did he be killed? I would have slapped John David. Bro. I don't know why. He probably couldn't breathe. He's over That's so mean. I don't know why. But all things work together. They're created. They're making. They're building. Go back to Job. We're going to talk about Joseph in a minute, too. That's the two examples at the end. Job. Name the thing. You know, think about what he went through. And I think I read in this right here, he lived 350 more years maybe after that. What's well, a long time? Long time. Roman unit number four. This is a clear promise. Why would David Jeremiah say verse 28 is a clear promise? What's his point? God's goal in our lives is clear. All things work together for good, quote unquote. His plan is not regardless of how things might seem at any given moment. Think about that. I was in a fog. When I dropped out of UNA and quit, I just quit going to class. I didn't even WD. That's withdrawal. I just quit going and took else. God's plan is always clear. He had a purpose for me. I had no idea what it was. He had a plan for me. Does this fact make all of our circumstances fun? Just talked about that. Let me read this, what he says. While solving puzzles in life, we all have the pieces. We have all the pieces. But God has the instructions and the box top that shows the completed project. We cannot see the whole thing, but he can. We have a piece that almost works and we try to force it. It may work for a moment, but ultimately a lot of things have come to, to be corrected have to be excuse me, corrected because that was the wrong move. God can make wrong moves. Listen to this. This is why I underline this. God can make wrong moves that we make in our lives and cause a puzzle to still come out good in the end. That's the difference between him and us and why we need him. I retired at 52 with 25 years. If I hadn't been such an idiot and so stupid, I graduated high school at 17. I could have got out of college at 21. 
I could have retired at 52 with 30 years. See what my point is? I got where I was going. But if I hadn't have been so bullheaded and unresponsive and lazy and a sorry human, 30 years been a lot better than 25. We got to the same destination. It's like following a GPS or planet by the ear. And if you don't know where you're going, GPS is great. That or you stop mass 45 folks. You know. You still get there. <clears throat> but are we, are we working smartly? Smartly is listening to God, following his instruction, his direction, the doors that he opens. Roman number number five. This is a conditional promise. What are the two conditions in verse 28? For all things work for the good. I can't even think right off the top of my head. You've got to love God. Yeah. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are. Those are the two conditions. Those are the two conditions. Now, sometimes. <clears throat> Do I love God like I should? Is, is he trying to get my attention? Is that why things ain't squirrely? I mean, things are squirrely and not hunky-dory. You know, Charles Stanley always says, when you're in that, step back and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because we already talked about synergy. All things work together. There is a rhyme and a reason for everything that goes on in this world. Nothing is by happenstance. I do not believe in luck. I do not believe in fate. I believe God has a purpose. And there's a reason. God's got a reason for this crazy country we live in. Now, whether we, which I doubt we do, adhere to it, and listen to it, this thing's going to blow up. And I hate it for my granddaughter coming. And John David's kids coming. I hate it. I hate it. I've been very fortunate to live where I live, when I live. Uh, promise number for those who love God. Who loves God? You do. Jeremiah says it's Christians. How do you know you love God? What's the Bible say? You, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. My word. Go back to Romans 7 over there. Paul, the things I do, I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Why am I such an idiot? That's my paraphrase. That's me. That's me. Number two, those who are called. What is Paul telling us here? If you're a Christian, you have a what from the Lord? They call it. You have a purpose. You have an objective. You have a goal. 
Dalton's is one thing. Steve and Tony, uh, yeah, all the way around the gym. We all got a different one. We all have a different gift, combination of different gifts. So that leads to, are we doing what God asks us to do? That might be a reason for a trial or tribulation. You know, that might be a very well reason. He's also telling us when we're called, it's not going to be hunky-dory all the time. Let me get my phone because I got a verse here. I jotted down here an example. Jesus quietens or calms the sea. Y'all remember that story? We're almost through, I promise. Let me find it here. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this. These guys were called. Now pay attention. And on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, and this is red. I've got it on my phone, but it's red in the Bible. Let us cross over to the other side. Whose decision was it to go to the other side? He is capital E, H. H, rather, not E. Whose decision was it to cross over to the other side? Talk to me now. It was Jesus's. They were called by Jesus to go to the other side. Don't ever forget that in this story. When we get wrapped up in Jesus calming the sea, but it was Jesus's purpose that they went in the boat. See what I'm saying? It was his purpose that they even started down that path. Okay? Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat, into the boat, so that it was already filling up with water. They were going down, boys. You ever felt like he's going down in life? Now go back. What did Jesus tell them? Let's cross over to the other side. They're out there in the boat. They forgot, as we know. <coughs> See what I'm saying? That was right after he fed the 5,000. I just got done watching. Booyah. <laughs> Booyah. We forgot what we know. Because, hey, it's a little squirrely out here. It's a little crazy. I'm going down. I got number three up. This is it. One and two. I'm up for the third time. Hey, you're out of there, dude. That's what they, they forgot what they know. And I'm not making fun of them because I, I forgot what I know 99% of the time. All right? And he says, but he was asleep in the stern. <clears throat> and he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I know y'all know this. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and, and there was a great calm. It went from zero way, white caps to nothing. Smooth as that. Finished floor. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith, Jesus asked. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the, they done forgot? And then look at verse chapter 5, verse 1. 
Who sent them in the boat? Now, y'all talk out loud to me. Say it out loud. Who sent them in the boat? Jesus did. What went on in the boat? Crazy. Waves. Almost death and destruction. Verse 1 of chapter 5. And then they came to the other side of the sea. To the country of the Chaldeans. What was the point? When you're called, you're all right. When you're called, you're all right. Think about the two witnesses in Revelation. They died and they're left laying dead for three days. But untempted, what is it, Tommy? Three and a half years there on earth? Three and a half years, these guys are radicals. Radicals. And nobody harms them. Nobody harms them. They walk in the toughest of neighborhoods, telling about the world about Jesus at that time. You can imagine, this is after the rapture now. There's no salt on the earth, much. Just the ones that are saved during that time. And these cats are walking around, and no one's harming them. They're called by God. Nobody can touch them. Until it's your time, nobody can take it. And then I jot it down. Read about Job and read about Joseph. Let me read a couple of sentences here. And then I jot it down. Can you see the synergy, all things working together in these three examples? Jesus in the, in the in common and sea. Then this is it's not much here. Job, 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 this is the kind of dude Job was. Job 1-1. Job feared God and shunned evil. And then it gets over here, Job 23, verse 10. But Job didn't curse God. In Job 23, verse 10, we find these words. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Remember what Tommy said? He had twice as much. Now, when it's crazy, it's hard to understand that. It is for me. It may not be for y'all. It is for me. Joseph. Joseph, that's one of the reasons I love Genesis. Think about Joseph, what his brothers did to him. And then when we get now, when we get through with this, we're going to get into Joseph for 10 weeks. I got the book. should be on the way. should be in the mail the next day or two from Robert Marsh. The 10 test, the character test that Joseph went through. My word, man, he lays it out there, this outstanding stuff. Joseph. This is what Joseph said at the end when his brothers came back and they were afraid that Joseph being second in charge behind Pharaoh was going to kill them for being knuckleheads and selling them into, into slavery. <clears throat> All these years later, Joseph in 20, chapter 20, verse chapter 50, verse 20, I'm sorry. But Joseph said this, but as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is to this day, to save many people alive. If they didn't sell, what he's telling them, if you don't know the story, what he's telling is they sold Joseph into Egypt, into slavery, and if that hadn't happened, the Israelite people would have famished in a famine, starved to death, 
Their only salvation was Joseph having the keys to the barn full of goods. How did he get there? Through that synergy, through all things working together. It's a little mind-blowing. Now, you think Joseph in that pit realized that? You think when that guy come and told Joe, uh, Joe hey, they're all dead. You think he realized that? They're a better man than I am. If they did, I promise you. Let me read this last thing and then I'll shut up. Joseph's brother had done something terrible to him when he was young, but it turned out to be what kept his family and ultimately the nation of Israel from disappearing due to a family. Now you get down the path, down the road, you can see how that worked out. My word, man, in that storm now, it's, it's a little squirt. It's a little squirt. Does anybody have anything to add or subtract? I thought today's lesson, for me personally, is one of the best. Because I needed that in the storms of life. I needed it every day. You know, I, I have a tendency not to look at the big picture and see, see the big thing. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this lesson. I need it. Lord, I needed it. I started reading over it Thursday and sat there and cried time to knowing that, that you're in charge, that you love me, and that you've got this. This world, my life, and nothing can harm me until you allow it. God, I pray, I just want to lift up my country specifically. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. You've been around for eternity past, and you've seen all kind of craziness, God. Nothing shocks you. God, I just lift up. I lift up my leaders, my country, and the citizens of this country. God, I pray for every one of these prayer requests, God. I pray for them, God. I lift them up to you. God, put your hand on the healed bodies, healed spirits, healed souls, healed, healed emotions, God. Lord, thank you for these guys. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Especially thank you for Jesus Christ, your sweet, precious name.